This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Hello, welcome to Crowcast. My name is Darren Rigdon, Head of International Trade. Thank you for joining us for our second instalment with Rob Lutus from the Department of International Trade to discuss current issues for those trading internationally. Rob, talk about the pandemic. How are you seeing businesses trading internationally adapting uh, following the effects of COVID-19 and are, are there any key trends that you are seeing at the moment? You know, again, yes, sadly, a lot of businesses did make it through um, and simply ran out of cash. And even with the, the the grants available and so on, it, they weren't they weren't enough to see people through the cash crisis that hit a lot of businesses. Um, some of them did go out of business. Some of them were phoenix and come back out again. So we've we've seen some, you know, visitor economy businesses who they've gone but now come back as things have loosened up a little bit. But what we've also seen is businesses adapt. And that, that's a really interesting thing, how a lot of businesses have really adapted and they've diversified their offer, whether that's products or services. You know, it, it's a bit of a dark example, but there's the, the company, one of the companies we, we came across who, uh, they ran a zoo. It was like a children's zoo where, you know, schools would go along mm-hmm. and pet the animals and do all that. And, of course, when the lockdown hit, it, it just closed up and they were relying on all sorts of charitable donations and all the rest of it. But this guy, I, I don't know how they came up with this idea. I honestly no idea. But they uh, started renting out their llamas and alpacas to bomb people's Zoom meetings. So these big corporates would be having a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting uh, with all of their staff. And then they'd have a llama pop up on the screen as a kind of random guest and this guy was doing great. He was like, sometimes he's running four llamas at the same time on different Zoom calls. I mean, who comes up with that sort of idea? But anyway, he did all right, and he just about got them through the uh, the first lockdown, and he's still doing it now, apparently. So yeah, if you if you zoom alpacas or llamas on Zoom, you'll see the sperm down in Hampshire. I think they are. But you know, that is a bit of a doubt example. But people are you know, becoming much more agile as a result of it. And that, that's a good thing, you know, it's, it's bad circumstances, but they, you know, they have come out of the, the, the whole thing with a, a different uh, proposition or offer to, to their clients. Um, there's definitely more evidence of businesses trying to hedge um, in terms of their supplies. So and this, is, this is a direct result of the, the pandemic where, you know, they were quite content in using one source of supply. Um, whether that's for staffing and labour, whether it's for commodities and uh, componentry. But now people have to, because they have to uh, adapt, now looking at several sources for uh, those those products and services. And similarly, with their customers as well, we found those customers that have diversified are the ones that are becoming much more resilient there. And I think that's a tough lesson but certainly one thing we were always saying about building that into your business model to hedge against risk 
because the risk became so prevalent and landed right on everyone's doorstep, people had to do, you know, do things differently. And they will, I think they will continue doing things differently as well. Um, the whole issue about staff working from home, um, you know, particularly in the service industries, it, it's definitely going to be a new feature of working life. We know that. It's a little bit like you know how people will use Zoom and Teams and other online platforms. I think the pendulum went 100% one way. It will settle out somewhere in the middle. Uh, so people will you know, adapt their working practices, but also how they engage with clients. I mean, we, we are definitely seeing a lower demand for people traveling now because they can conduct business differently online. However, uh, there is also evidence that in certain territories around the world, it is not proving successful. So from an international sales perspective, uh, I think in the more developed westernized economies in Europe and, and North America, for example, a lot of uh, people we interact with, so whether that's customers or whether it's suppliers or partners, are okay about working on online platforms, but that isn't the case in some other territories like the Middle East and like Southeast Asia, where you know, that face-to-face -face contact is still vital. You know, deals have been stalled and have not been done because you just haven't had the ability to engage face-to-face. -face. So as soon as those travel bans list lifted in the Middle East, the planes were full of people who needed to go and close deals. And, you know, they, they were not tourist flights, they weren't business class flights either. If anybody were, were dashing out there to get deals done and to move people around to service contracts, that they were finding difficult to service. So, you know, whilst it, it is a, a reasonable medium to use in some environments, it is not, it is not universal. Um, and it is a, a need to have, but when it becomes less necessary, I think we're going to see more people really traveling more out of necessity, not choice. Yes, I agree. I think a lot of international trade does uh, rely on sort of understanding those sort of cultures and um, the way of doing business. And, and people do like to actually meet the people they're dealing with. So whilst it worked at the time when there was no other choice, I think as things open up, it will go back to a, a bit of a equilibrium between face to face meetings and, and those on, online meetings. Um, we, we've also seen all of the innovation that um, uh, different businesses have, have developed during the pandemic and Quite a few good examples, not not quite as interesting as the Llama one, but uh, we've seen uh, online cocktails and things like that and online training sort of cropping up and uh, keeping those businesses going. And also when recruiting people as well, we're, we're, we're again, using this, this family business as an example, um, people have different expectations about how they want to work now. And that, that's quite tough as a sort of, someone that's worked you know, in business for quite a long time, um, there are changes, and I suppose you know, I don't want to be a dinosaur, but I, I do think there are benefits of having people working in the same environment. But a lot of the you know, the younger generation, particularly around the techies and the you know those those uh, involved in in digital uh, activities, are almost demanding that they have a significant period of time working from home, and that that's difficult for a lot of businesses to absorb into their own typical working practices because. You know, I feel that there are a lot of benefits about having people in the same space, bouncing ideas off each other, and generally productivity is quite high. But when you get you know, people who are working from home, it changes the dynamic. 
And it's not for everybody, but I, you know, we just have to be reactive to what what the demands of everybody are, whether it's customers, whether it's the workforce, whether, you know, your own staff, and so on. It, there are changes uh, happening here quite drastically, uh, and it's difficult to keep on top of that because you know it's likely to change again over the next few months, um, particularly with the way the labour market is looking. Because it's a it's a seller's market at the moment from a from an employee point of view. Yeah. So I think we need to be mindful that people are demanding different things out of their working life, um, and while it's difficult to to accommodate sometimes, you know, it's just about being competitive. And the pandemic brought that on, or it's accelerated it. I think. Would you agree? Because I think it was always there. I mean, everybody wants to work from home, right? Yeah. Now it's almost it's, it's a demand, and it's become more commonplace and acceptable and i think it's been tested for such a long period so if we look at our own business we've seen teams working very well and they they, they function well for a long period of time so it would seem odd to not give them that ability to continue going forwards um as the downsides as you mentioned really i suppose that team sort of mentality making sure that's built up and also the training side of things but outside of that there is definitely a place i think for some working remotely and there's a conflict issue as well, isn't it? Because where you've got larger companies, or medium and larger sized companies, where you've got a mix of manufacturing and administration, you know, a lot of people in administration are looking over their shoulder at colleagues in other organisations saying, well, you know, the, the legal team or the accountancy team or the HR team are working from home, why can't I? But then they've got a shop full, full of people who are you know, having to work from eight till five or whatever the time it is. Do you know what I mean? So you get this, this, conflict in the, the workplace sometimes where there's lots of different pulls on a business leader to try and accommodate all of that but I think like most things we find a way of working through it but they're just ongoing challenges aren't they? Yes definitely. Okay thank you and um, something that's very uh, topical at the moment is uh, sort of environmental impact and I just wondered how um, you're seeing those trading internationally adapting to be more environmentally friendly enhance their green credentials um, given this is a focus for governments and consumers at the uh, present time? It is much more prevalent than I think we've ever seen before. Um, and, you know, this is, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but this is not about pacifying Greta and the Green Lobby. You know, this is sometimes about the pure commercials of environmental best practice. Um, because what we're finding on a global basis now, and we are quite far ahead in the, in the UK and, and Europe uh, compared to other nations, but perhaps in other places like Australia and New Zealand, you know, there's an equal uh, demand for environmental best practice across the whole spectrum of industry and, and consumerism. So. From a commercial perspective, I suppose you could categorise it in, in two specific areas. One is B2C, so business to consumer, business to customer, and meeting the increasing consumer demand for eco-conscious products. So there's no question that if you can prove your uh, eco-credentials, you widen your marketplace quite considerably because people are asking for it, uh, and at the other end, people are demanding it. So it's not just a nice to have, it's actually quite a good thing to have from a commercial perspective because you broaden your, your demand quite dramatically uh, if you can meet the expectations of, of those consumers. And if you look at the demographic and how that's changed in the last 
five years. And with the, the you know the change in the demographic with younger people coming through, that isn't going to change other than one way it's going to increase, no question. Um, so people are looking more towards that, that uh, area of activity within the product proposition, much more so than they ever have before. And it's much more visible as well now. So you can't just claim it, you know, you have to prove it as well. So you can't just put a sticker on there saying, you know, we're, we're environmental. People are much more savvy and will scrutinise your credentials before they commit. So, you know, people are people who've been good at this are, are making hay at the moment because you know, they realise they've tapped into quite a rich theme of consumers and it provides them a significant differential over some of their competitors. The other areas in B2B, so if you're supplying from a business-to-business activity, um, whether that's in services or whether that's in products. So if you are supplying raw materials or uh, subcomponents, for example, it's really helpful for the uh, the end consumer being you know, your customers to help them to prove their eco-credentials within their own supply chain. So we're seeing more and more now that, you know, it's, say, for example, in the food industry, there's no way that a you know, food manufacturer can, can um, claim that they've got an organic product if your supply into them is not organic, for example. I know that's a very simplistic uh, example, but the same thing applies in other manufactured goods. So if they're claiming 100% recycled products, um, then you have to step in line with that and make sure that your product are also compliant to that claim as well. But it helps them to improve their proposition. But then you also improve your sales opportunities by meeting that. You know what I mean? So yeah. you, you, your link in that chain is, is vital. So there's definitely increased commercial opportunities around that. And the same thing applies about the transparency and the access and uh, visibility of your credentials, if you can make that apparent through your sales proposition, you could potentially attract a lot more demand from your, your uh, marketplace. Um, just to, to add, I suppose, the sort of services and the industries where we're, we're seeing this become quite prevalent. Um, alternative energy is a big one. So alternative energy being used in, in you know, people's normal lives or in, in things like transport and, and so on. I mean, they're the, the sort of obvious things where people are migrating across to alternative energy, but everything that sits around that. So it's, you know, you say, yeah, it's great having electric cars, but, you know, there's a whole sub-industry in, in Kent at the moment who are installing charge points, for example. Um, if you look at other, you know, uh, energy efficiencies, it's not just about putting in a hydrogen boiler or, or heat source pumps or whatever. It's it's the whole environmental management systems around that and all the communications around that. It's, I mean, it's, it's just massive. So the the diversity of opportunity in there is quite, quite huge. Um, and then there's the obvious stuff around sustainable products and environmental best practice, for example. So you know, there are lots of growth areas which are all interlinked. And I think, you know, those those businesses that are clued into that 
and know where the, the niche opportunities are can really take advantage of it now. And again, it's not just about pacifying the green lobby. There's a real commercial angle on this. Um, I mean, have you guys seen anything similar in the way of any businesses that are really leading the way in this type of stuff? I, I think we're seeing it sort of uh, quite generally. So, I mean, if you look at um, like food and beverage sector, as you mentioned earlier, that that's quite a focus for them. They're looking at everything from sort of packaging to traceability, uh, to developing sort of plant-free, uh, meat-free, um, plant-based products. Um, and, and I think the big drive is that consumers are happy to pay a little bit more now. So, as you say, it's not just uh, um, it's like a trend. It's um, it's got some real sort of commercial drive to it. Uh, thank you for joining us, Rob. That was really um, interesting and, and, and insightful. Um, and thank you for everybody at home that's uh, listened to this. And I hope you join us again for the next Crowcast. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we devise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.